the industry reflects the people who are running the industry. And so what I have tried to do is not pink it and shrink it, but rather just say what's going on in plain English. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Time to get that money, honey. I know. Do you smell it? I never liked the actual smell of money. <laughs> I always think it's just like drugs and stuff on it. It's like really dirty, isn't it? Yeah, I just think it's dirty. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. Like people do coke on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. People like put and it like, between their ass cheeks. Literally, I was going to say. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. Every dollar I get, yeah, I put so. between my ass cheeks. <laughs> It's like a rite of passage to be in my wallet. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> you know, if you're getting money from me, it's been in my Again, ass. such an intro Dude, for I feel a lovely so bad lady. For everyone. I know. <laughs> literally, she's like an angel. She's a genius uh, angel, and she gets money between her ass cheeks at the beginning of her episode. <laughs> wow. Manisha. The core. She rocks. Yeah, we were so happy. You know, we've been hearing from Almost 30 Nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been hearing from our own intuition as we are, you know, transitioning into our 30s where like, we just like want financial freedom. And that doesn't mean necessarily just making a lot of money and saving it. It's it's more having that peace with money and um, being Making able, money while you sleep. Yeah, making, uh, sure. And being able to talk <laughs> about it and being able to kind of like- sure. I'll let it in. <laughs> I respect you. I know. Literally. I just have so much money right now. I don't even know what to do with it. So much money. So much money. I have so much money. But this is our account. mantra. That's what I say to myself. I'm like, whoa, you have so much money. It's so, like, it's coming in. I can't even count it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I can't even count it. I can't even count it. I'm That's my so mantra. much money that I'm getting tickets for being on my phone that I have to like pay out money and I don't yeah, care. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. Take my money. Um, But uh, Benicia it has her MBA from Harvard. She is so super educated and has so much experience, especially, you know, she talked a lot about working with men and how that's affected like, you know, initially her um, experience and relationship with money and how like she witnessed in the workplace, just these women kind of like falling prisoner to like finance, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, why have men been able to really like be confident in that space? And Mm -hmm. there's no reason why there should be that like 
gap. Yeah, um, she worked on Wall Street for a long time. Mm-hmm. So she's been in the space for a long time. So her personal finance tips have been on um, CNN, the Today Show. She's been in New York Times. She has her own brand, Money Zen. And she just really helps women, especially get a handle on their finances and their money. So this is a very information heavy episode, but we wanted to just get into it and kind of bring to light issues about money to you guys. So we're excited for you to listen. Great. Awesome. Join our secret Facebook group Mm -hmm. and let's talk about it. Let's like open the conversation about Mm -hmm. money. I'm like- Tell everyone how much money you make. Uh Yeah. I'm like ready and willing to like talk about like kind of the the shit that is not going so hot. Mm -hmm. Like where I'm like struggling to understand Mm -hmm. and to consistently do X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. Because I feel like we have like a lot of abundance, you know, in so many ways, but like to be able to manage it and to have that relationship with it where it keeps flowing or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. like- is a struggle for me sometimes. So let's yep. talk about it. All right, guys. We love you. Enjoy this Enjoy. Episode. Yeah, we got referred to you by girls in our group. Oh, that warms my heart. Yeah, love they're them. The, they're the bomb. Because we always say in our group, we've been talking like, you know, with our podcast, we cover like health, wellness, spirituality. Um, but one of the things that we've been wanting to get more into is like finances and stuff. Because mm. a lot of the women in our group, in our community are almost 30 or 20s, they're early 30s. So maybe they're coming into money. Maybe they have debt. Maybe they have student loans. Maybe they're wanting to buy a house. Maybe they have a family. So there's a lot of things going on financially right now that um, you know could put people in different situations. So we're so happy to have you on and kind of talk through everything. I'm so happy to do this and um, we can talk about it on the show, but mm-hmm. I, I'm being asked to, sp- I'm doing more and more teaching at mm. spiritual centers. Cool. Which I think is That's fascinating. Amazing. I think mm-hmm. it's because your because money's in is your yeah. brand. So, But also that the spiritual centers are actually interested in having the content. Really? I mean, 10 years ago, they wouldn't have had financial content. So that's a whole interesting thing to explore. Oh, that's like, interesting. Why, like why on do you their think end. That? Wow. Yeah. Why do you think that is? You want me to save that for... Oh, oh no, we're on. We're yeah, on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, perfect. We're live, sister. <laughs> well, then I'll just keep rolling with the question. <laughs> we like the ambush we method. We love that. Like, Whoa. <laughs> so, the, um, it felt so natural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I think what's happening is that um, we have hit this inflection point where people are just realizing more is just more. And so, what what's happening is it's... And combined with that, we've we're the and especially you guys are the mm-hmm. first generation to be coming out of college with such unprecedented levels of student loan debt. Mm. So even if you aren't horribly materialistic, just the fact you got an education puts you behind the eight ball now. And yeah. so I think what's happening is that people are realizing they don't have the mental space to be mindful and be conscious because it's all cluttered up with financial angst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it does take up a lot of space. That stress. Mm-hmm. And I think it manifests itself in different ways. I'm like realizing that as I get older. And I know a lot of the girls in our group have been talking about that. What have you seen throughout the years? I know you um, were in corporate America for a long time. So have you seen kind of like this evolution of not only like women in the workplace and like kind of owning the money that they deserve there, but how they the relationship with money, like how that's changed? 
Mm. Oh, it's changing enormously. So um, I've worked in financial services for 25 years, and I still work in the corporate world. I do Money Zen on the side. Money Zen is the entity through which I teach and I write and I speak. Um, it's my side gig to you mm-hmm. slightly. Um, yeah, we know hipper. a lot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but what I have observed wearing my corporate hat is that there really has been a sea change. We are in an unprecedented period in history. Never before have women had collectively as much financial power mm. um, as we do now. I mean, literally never in the history of humankind. And so what's happening is more and more women are becoming primary breadwinners and meaningful co-breadwinners, not just in the U.S., but globally. And as women are starting businesses at unprecedented levels, we really are stepping into the power that comes with that. And what I'm noticing are a couple of of different things, but probably the one I'm most excited about is that women are wanting to use their money to make a stand, Mm -hmm. whereas up until now, men have traditionally used their money to show that like theirs is bigger than the others. And Mm -hmm. so women, it's not about size. It's about what you do with the money. And um, it literally, and so what we're seeing is a lot of women really wanting to make an impact with their money, whether they're investing in a socially responsible way, whether Mm. paying attention to environmental, social and governance issues with their money, or if it's just something closer to home, like making a bigger impact on their family and their community with their money, all while being smart and generating a good rate of return. Um, And so that's the big sea change that I'm seeing is that women are marrying profits with purpose. Mm -hmm. That's how we do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, go girls. I know it is. That's literally how we do. So speaking of the debt, you know, like college debt and student debt and that sort of issue. If you were, if someone were to come to you, a woman who has $100,000 in debt, um, she's working a job that, you know, she can barely pay the bills. Like, how would you recommend someone getting out of debt? Like, what's your debt? Yeah. So my preference Mm -hmm. is to get people on the front end of the funnel before they even go into school. So I'll just Mm -hmm. say a few words about that. I think we've been sold a bill of goods that student loan debt is, quote, good debt. And I'm 47. And so for my generation, that was true. Because in my generation, you would you would graduate with a level of student loan debt that would be like ten or $15,000 that would be, you know, serious money, but not dragging you down like six-figure debts that I'm seeing people come out of school mm. with these days. And the rough rule of thumb is that to be able to afford your life and comfortably be able to pay off your debt in your 20s and 30s, you don't want to have more in-student loan debt than you think you will make on average in your first 10 years out of school. Now, that's a mouthful, so say it again. Mm -hmm. You you don't want to take on more in total student loan debt than you think you will earn on average in your first 10 years out of school. So if you're pursuing a career um, like investment banking, mm-hmm. where you may start off at $60,000, but you're, 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 in 10 years you could be making $300,000 or more, then you, your average over that 10-year period is likely something well into the six figures. And so you, okay. you would be able to take on that $100,000 mm-hmm. debt. But if you're pursuing a career that has you know just a cap 
because of the industry, it's say $60,000 or $75,000. And no matter how awesome you are over the next 10 years, you're not going to get much higher than that because of the industry economics. If you have $100,000 in debt, the math just doesn't work. You're not going to be able to have the same lifestyle as as your friends. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that up front so that when people feel like they're drowning in debt, if they're not matching that formula I gave, then that's why you're, that's, it, it's not you, it's the numbers. The numbers yeah. just are working against you. And so the answer to it depends on whether the loans are private or government. Um, if they're government loans, you do have some relief. You can choose to go on an income-based repayment plan. And there are actually certain career paths you can follow where you can actually get loan forgiveness at the after you have gone through a certain number of years of teaching um, school in certain kinds of neighborhoods, doing certain kind of more community-oriented work. So you can Google income-based repayment plans and loan forgiveness for government loans to see mm. what the options are. Okay. If you have private loans, it's a lot tougher because the interest rates are higher so private loans, like from the bank, right? From the bank, okay. exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. what would make people pick a private or a, a government? Sometimes it's they just don't know the difference. Okay. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's because they can't get enough in government um, loans yeah. to cover what they need. And so they make up the gap with private instead of saying, wait a minute, maybe I should pick a different school with a lower price tag. Mm. And then when, so when loans are forgiven by the government, you know, the mm-hmm. forgiveness or, and I remember Obama was going to like, forgive all student debt or forgive like a certain I, I amount. W- I wish, I, I wish know, but that it would what all. What happens with that? Like who's affected? You know what I mean? Like yeah. nothing is free. So I'm confused of when our gov- when we do that kind of stuff. So loan forgiveness, generally speaking, is a taxable event. So the amount of loans that are considered forgiven are that amount of money is considered income to you. So you will pay taxes on uh. that. So it's not as if it, they just disappear. Right. So that goes back. Um, and th- this is only for government funds, government loans. There's not loan forgiveness on, on private loans. But essentially, the government is taking a wash. The government is basically saying, for the greater good of humanity, we realize people are drowning in debt. And so we're going to give loan forgiveness. Um, and so it adds to the total debt burden of the U.S. government. It's loans that they have to write off. Okay. And that's why you don't see it happening in the private sector um, because companies don't want to do that. Totally. Yeah. So it's like adds to the trillions of debt that we're in. And like, what's a a little bit more from student loans on top of all of that? Let's just print more money. (laughs) Why do you think it's important for women to kind of like reclaim their power when it comes to finances? Like whether it is managing their debt whether it's asking for more money, whether it's, you know, learning how to budget um, as they become more successful in their career. Like, why do you think that's important? Because money and in particular being in a position of financial strength, which I would define as um, living within your means, having slim to no debt, um, money gives women voices and choices. And that's the number one reason why I feel it's so important for women to have. For so many centuries, women have been stuck in relationships and places and situations where they've not only not felt comfortable, but often not felt safe, let alone 
you know, not have the space to create and 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 flourish. And mm. and so to me, it all comes back to the 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 fact that money gives women voices and choices. Yeah, because I, I can imagine there are just some people who are almost like gripped with fear when they think about finances and it would just be easier to depend on, you know, others in their life, mainly men. Like, oh, can you balance the checkbook? Can you do that? You know what I mean? Like, I, I but I think you're right. Yeah, it's so important. And I think like diving into th- that world for me, it's so scary. But like the more I know slowly, slowly as I'm like learning, I do feel like this, okay, so I can come at it myself and I can kind of face it and handle it myself without having to lean on someone else to just like, quote unquote, take care of it for me. Mm. Well, And the good news is the basics of good financial hygiene, so to speak, are actually quite straightforward. Mm. I think, and this is why I'm so thrilled that you two are doing this show is, or this episode is because I think women, we just don't talk about it enough. Yeah. And because we don't talk about it, it feels foreign and scary. And yet when I'm teaching financial literacy workshops and women go through as little as 10 to 12 hours of financial literacy training, they are, they are completely transformed. Wow. I love that. So what are some of the basics. basics of good hygiene, good financial hygiene? So number one is having a sense of what healthy spending looks like. Um, most of us know the food pyramid or the dinner plate, depending on our generation. And we know if we're eating all carbs or something wrong, or if we're eating, you know, mm-hmm. all dairy, But most of us have no idea what healthy spending looks like. And the best formula that I've ever seen comes from a woman, from a book that Senator Elizabeth Warren wrote back when she was a professor at Harvard Law School. And she calls it the balanced spending formula. And it's 50, 30, 20. And it says, in an ideal world, Hmm. 50% of your pay, your take home goes to needs, Mm -hmm. 30% goes to wants, and Brace yourself. Yeah. Um, 20% goes to save, no, yeah, to savings and investing. Yeah. She wrote this book in the early 90s. So back when my generation was getting out of business, out of undergrad with $10,000, $15,000 of debt, I have a, a twisted, made a slight tweak to her formula to say 20% should go towards debt pay down and savings. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm meeting so few people that can actually save 20% right out of the gate in their 20s and 30s. But that honestly is the goal. Yeah. And the reason 50, 30, 20 is so important is you can start to see right off the bat, if you live on the West Coast, if you live on the East Coast, the cost of living is ferociously expensive. Mm-hmm. You can easily spend 50% just on your rent alone. Easy. And so what it means is your pie is 100. Everybody's <laughs> pie is-, is Easy. Is, yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm there. I'm just thinking, What's like, how do you not? <laughs> I know. Crazy. Get a boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the episode reverses. <laughs> we lost all the value. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. The thing is, I mean, really though, Damn. when you know the number, you two might end up moving in together. You know well, yeah. I mean, what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, get bunk beds. You save so much money. It's yes. so true. And I I literally think if, if more people paid attention to the ratio, you'd see more people being more creative to figure out ways to yeah. keep. If their- anyone gives me shit for moving in with my boyfriend too soon, I'm going rever- yeah, exactly. to. That was New York too. I'm going to reference this combo. Yeah. Yeah. 50, 30, 20. That's yeah. why I'm doing it. Yeah. You're like, it's our first date. You're like, whatever. 50, 30, 20. Don't you know? Um, how, 
Okay. So what's two plus two? <laughs> In terms, so 20% to savings, would you recommend investing? Like, because I'm trying to think about, okay, so 20% is a lot. Uh, in my mind. Like, how do you kind of make money while you're sleeping? I know some ways. We know some ways yeah. just because we have 85 jobs going on right. at once, right? Yeah. But, you know, do you have like kind of quick, Etsy surefire ways? Yeah. Okay, so the, I'll answer that question in two parts. The first mm-hmm. part is where does that 20% go? There's three places for it. One is your emergency fund. Two is mm. near-term needs. And three is retirement. So the rough rule of thumb is you want to start with a $2,000 emergency starter fund because that's the amount of of money the average person has in unexpected expenses a year. Mm. Love that. Love that. Dropping your cell phone every day. (laughs) Tracking the screen. Yeah. yeah, Literally. (laughs) Precisely. Those exact kind of things. Ideally, over the long run, as you get into your 30s, you're going to want to have an emergency fund that covers three to six months of living expenses. So Mm -hmm. part of that 20% savings is going to go to an emergency fund, and that money should stay in a money market fund, a savings account, certificates of deposit. You don't want to invest that in stocks and bonds. Okay. The second piece is towards nearer-term needs, and that would be something you know you need to spend money on. Like, Um, Lindsay, you do move in with your boyfriend and Mm -hmm. then you find out that you're pregnant and you guys decide that you need to buy a home. So a down payment on a home would be a near return need or you need a car, down payment on a car. You're getting married. You need to pay for part or all of the wedding. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of big items that are traditional near term needs in your 20s and 30s. Then the remainder goes towards your retirement and that's money you can invest. Okay. So oh, like a 401k or like a fund, like a market, like, so money market funds, do you, what do you use for like your investment? Okay. So a lot of people confuse the kinds of accounts that you can store money in yes. and the investments that you make within those accounts. So Chris, you just mentioned one of my favorite options, which is a 401k account. That is the kind of account that some employers will offer and they allow employees to take money from their paycheck and put it into those accounts. Then you have to decide how you want to invest that money that is in the 401k account. And my favorite investment for everyone, but especially for people in their 20s and 30s, is something called a target date retirement fund. And it is a fund that um, has a number at the end of it, like 2040 or 2050 or 2060. And that number corresponds to the year in which you think you're going to retire. So if you think you're going to retire at age 65 or 70, (laughs) and in two years, I'm out of here, done with this. Um, And what happens is that fund starts off aggressive and it gets gradually more conservative as you get older. So you don't have to pick individual stocks and bonds and investments. You can own this one fund and all you have to do is keep contributing money to this one fund. And in that one fund, you will own pieces of over typically 10,000 different stocks and bonds. So you're totally diversified with one simple investment. So it goes from like more stocks to more bonds. Correct. As As you get older. And then, okay, so it's called, it's called a what fund? A target date, date retirement. retirement fund. And what's the company? I use Vanguard. Vanguard. Like, what's your favorite? Vanguard is my favorite. Vanguard's the best. Yes, they they're wonderful. <laughs> they have um, they have I have because it's no fee. I have two fun companies that I'm totally in love with. Um, equally, Vanguard, which consumers can go to directly, and then um, Vanguard's 
um, sibling that a lot of people haven't heard of, but happens to have a headquarters right here in Santa Monica called Dimensional Fund Advisors. Cool. Um, and they're just like Vanguard with a little bit of a, a twist. I consider one still water and one sparkling water, mm-hmm. um, but they're both water. Okay. Um, and they're, and um, they're low cost and highly effective. What's the difference? The difference is Dimensional Funds are slightly tweaked to have more exposure to international companies, to smaller companies, to what are called value companies. So um, the way I think about it, it's like driving down a a slightly, it's got a a sort of a little bit of a tilt Mm -hmm. um, towards areas of the market that have historically given a higher amount of return Mm -hmm. per unit of risk that you take on. The thing about dimensionals are only available through advisors that have gone through a rigorous training program that dimensional puts on because they don't want people trading the investments in and out. They don't want day traders using their stuff. So they only allow pre-approved advisors to offer them whereas anybody can go to Vanguard straight out. So as you get older and you have enough money to work with financial advisors who are dimensional approved, that's my favorite option. Mm. But until then, Vanguard is my favorite option. For our listeners who don't know what funds are and what you're talking about, let's break it down. It's a a powerful question. And I just want to just say that I've been working in this industry for 25 years and there's not a single workday that goes by where I don't get asked at least one thing that I don't know the answer to. Mm. And I want to put that out there. Like, I have a Harvard MBA. Like, I have a CFA. I have a CFP. I do all of this all the time. (laughs) I do it all the time. Do Harvard grads hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) I I bring this up because I feel like there's so much pressure that we should know this stuff. Totally. And no one knows all of it. So a, a, a mutual fund, the way I think about it, it's like a financial smoothie. It's like a, a green smoothie and it has different kinds of vegetables and the vegetables are stocks and it has different kinds of fruits and all, the fruits are bonds. And the funds can have all different kinds of compositions of stocks and bonds in them, just like a smoothie can have all different compositions mm. of veggies and fruits. But it's a really simple way to get a wide range of nutrients, financial nutrients, into your portfolio. When you buy individual stocks, it's the financial equivalent of trying to, like, eat some kale, eat some um, radicchia. I mean, so you don't end up with a diversified mix of nutrients in your body. And that's why funds are great. They're like financial smoothies. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a mix of stocks and bonds, and each fund has a different amount or a different type of flavor to the mix. Yeah, exactly. And do you decide that, or does do you have an advisor that's doing that? So you can do it, or an advisor can do it. The funds that I like the most are these target date retirement funds because it's essentially as if you have an, an invisible advisor. Um, especially when you're just starting out, most advisors have minimum asset levels before they'll they'll talk to you. And so, for example, the firms I work for all have always had at least a million dollar minimum before clients mm-hmm. can come in. So it's kind of this catch-22. Well, how do you end up with a million dollars if you can't get advice? Mm-hmm. And so target date retirement funds are a great place where you can be socking away your savings and investing without having to understand the complexities of stocks and bonds. And as Krista mentioned, Vanguard's a great place to open an account. Another great place, there's a company called Elevest, E-L-L-E-V-E-S-T. 
started by a wonderful woman, Sally Krawcheck, who was the first female chief financial officer of Citigroup and was the president of Smith Barney and, and Merrill Lynch. And Edward. And yeah, she, mm-hmm. she is an amazing woman and she's created a um, company for women investors and it's a great place to go and get started investing and it's elevest.com. Wow, cool. Do you feel like you're in a male-dominated sphere? Like, do you feel like sometimes you're the only wo- woman or how has that felt like through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, no, I don't feel like that. I am like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for my entire career, I've pretty much always been the only woman in the room. Wow. And it's it's interesting to me because I increasingly have gotten involved in, in my career in focusing on issues around women and wealth. And so I have ended up in sort of a, extracurricular community with other women who've been in the industry as long as I have. And what I've noticed is when I'm sitting around with that group, my body language, the way I talk, the way I think is so completely different than Mm. when I'm in a normal financial services corporate setting. I find Mm. that I just, I've like shut down my femininity. I'm, I, like I'm not that into sports, so I can't do all the bro sports talk and mm. like trying to fake it doesn't work. So totally. I just, I end up being quieter. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like I'm censoring myself. And I feel like, well, in the world of Me Too, we're seeing a lot of a lot of changes going on. But I certainly think in the technology industry and the financial services industry, we are behind the times in terms of having more women in leadership. Do you think companies are making a point to change that? Or is it... Yeah, what is happening there? Mm-hmm. So there are certain countries, like Germany, for example, where they've literally put in laws that say by, you know, 2020 or 2025, X percent of the boards of directors of public companies have to be women. They're, they're literally mandating mm. that more women come into positions of power. We're not quite there yet in the U.S., but what we have seen, um, and the statistics are incredibly stark, is that companies that have more women in senior leadership have better economic performance as companies, and their stock prices also do better. And one of my favorite quotes um, is, it might have been a very different world in 2007 to 2009 had it been Lehman Sisters instead of Lehman Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about having more women at the table, more diverse viewpoints that makes for better decision. So it's slow going, Lindsay, but I do feel like it's starting to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read on your website, you were talking about like the male speak in in the yeah. business. So like, how are you trying to change that? I think that's so interesting. Like just the fact that the words that people use to describe, you know, the stock market or whatever it is, are so like male- charged or however yeah, you, you know yeah. what I mean? So. They're testosterone Can you give examples too of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you, you turn on the, the financial news, it is shocking the, the words that are used. Like you'd literally think you're That's watching so war coverage, you know, like we're crushing the competition. We're beating the market. Yeah. We're, we're dominating. We're, I mean, if they're all very angular, harsh, one up, one down, I win, you lose kinds mm-hmm. of words. Mm-hmm. Like Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the industry reflects the people who are running the industry. And so what I have tried to do is not pink it and shrink it, but rather just 
say what's going on in plain English. And one of the funny (laughs) things I find is that when you actually speak about money in plain English, everybody, men and women, benefit from it because a lot of the guys don't understand it either. Mm. They just hide behind multisyllabic words and acronyms. Mm. Yeah, so true. So what are some more feminine Mm -hmm. ways to that you found have been effective whether it's through um, Money Zen or whatever it is, reaching more women and empowering them? So just to give one example, one of the most important decisions you can ever make about your financial future is how early you start saving and investing. And so the way I like to describe it, it's like if you start using sunscreen in your 20s, you will look just like your girlfriends. But the time you get to be age 47 like me, it is really clear who used sunscreen and who did not use sunscreen. Mm. And it's the same thing with investing. If you start saving in your 20s, it may feel like you're not really doing anything. But by the time you hit your mid-40s, if you've been consistently saving throughout your 20s and 30s, by the time you get into your 40s, you're sitting on a really nice nest egg. Um, and in fact, the the way the math works, a dollar you save and invest in your 20s, if you invest and get an average return of 6 to 7%, is five times more powerful than a dollar you save in your mid-40s. So for instance, if you want to get to a million dollars and you assume a 6 to 7% return, you can get there by saving $5,000 a year starting at age 25. And at 70, you'll have a million dollars. Or if you wait until age 45, which is when a lot of people wait to start saving, you have to save $25,000 a year to get there. So if you start early, you save just $5,000. If you wait two decades, you have to save five times that amount. And that's mm. that's my whole point about sunscreen, that um, use a little bit early on, save a little bit early on. You save yourself so much pain down yeah. the road. And so just putting concepts into kind of plain English with analogies that people can understand yeah, um, is the way I've started talking about, about finance. And on the point of like talking about it, how can women or how can people talk to their families, their boyfriends, like other women, like how could we talk to each other about it? And like, what's the benefit of being open about finances? So in a relationship context, I can tell you hands down, without a doubt, as a divorced woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, when you get married, there will be a third person in your marriage. And that person is called money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it, it's, it is shocking how it's many terrifying. marriages break up over finances. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, the it'll appear that a marriage is breaking up because of infidelity. But oftentimes what's underlying that infidelity is arguments or inconsistent beliefs around money that causes one partner to feel distant from the other and that causes the infidelity. So I think actually the more than half of marriages are destroyed by money. So the the value, and what I tell people when you meet someone special, everybody will ask you if you're physically compatible or emotionally or intellectually or spiritually compatible, but nobody asks you if you're financially compatible. Mm. And yet financial compatibility will likely have the biggest impact on whether or not your relationship makes it. Mm. And so talking about it and getting financially intimate with your partner is huge. And a great way to practice that is by getting financially intimate first with your girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of this safe place where you can practice this kind of conversation. 
And the other thing you'll do is you'll start inspiring each other. What yeah. once I find is like once one woman starts talking about it, then pretty much everyone starts to feel comfortable opening up about it. But it, it takes somebody strong to be the first one to start the conversation. Mm, and that's sharing like how much they're making and what they're investing in or what sort of numbers should people share? So I think a great place to start would be to start with how you're trying to live within your means. So, you know, just in the way you share anything, if you share too much right off the bat, it's like, whoa, too much intimacy. So I I suggest starting off with saying, I've heard about the 50-30-20 rule and I'm working really hard to try and get there and I'm struggling. And let me tell you where I'm struggling and see if you have any ideas. And by using that 50-30 framework, you've got a way to start talking about, am I spending too much on my needs, my housing, transportation, food, insurance, mandatory childcare, or am I spending too much on wants, all the other stuff? Am I saving too little? And so you can start talking about that without talking about the actual income that you are bringing in. Mm -hmm. As you get older and start rolling down the pike, it can be incredibly powerful for women to share income numbers with each other because we still make, depending on the calculation methodology, 77 cents to 82 cents on the male dollar. And a lot of the reason we're underpaid is we don't negotiate. And we don't negotiate because we don't know what each other are making or what standard for the mm. industry. So I don't recommend it that you share it in the very first conversation with each other, but it can be very powerful. My girlfriends and I at this stage of our careers constantly share mm. this type of information and it's empowered us to negotiate and really speak up for ourselves. Um, and another great thing you can do, similar to fitness challenges or debt challenges to help each other like, this is the debt I have, and I'm going to try and add an extra 50 or 100 or $150 each month to the minimum monthly payment. And you can help each other stay on track with that goal the way you would any other fitness goal. Mm-hmm. Love that. I think that's great. Yeah, I think the transparency too, just with anything, you can be talking about, you know, relationships, all that, but the money piece I think is so important to talk about with your friends. It's just, I think, the uncomfortable beginning where you're like, I don't know if they're struggling with the same thing that I'm struggling mm-hmm. with, because it's something that you could hide so well, mm-hmm. you know, in the life that you live and how you're happy and you're doing this and you're traveling mm-hmm. there. But, you know, no one really knows. One of the things that I can say from the standpoint of somebody who's worked a long time in the asset management and wealth management industry is I would say seven times out of 10, the exceptionally well-dressed person who looks really wealthy has less than the person who comes into our offices Mm, and just looks quiet and unassuming. And I mean, I've had people come in with literally cockroach-sized diamond rings driving the, you know, a Mercedes or a Tesla and like that perfect, I call it wealthy woman hair, like there's not a single flyaway and Mm -hmm. flawless skin. And literally they look like a million bucks, but they don't have enough to come into our firm at a million dollar minimum as a client. And then I'll see somebody else you who's in for a date or yeah. <laughs> like, right, right. what are you doing here, ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> but it's people's financial, people's physical outsides very, very often do not match their financial mm, insides. So that's, true. that's what I've come to, to learn. I feel like the richer, the more you don't care. The people that I know that are yep. rich as hell do not yep. care what they look like. It's like, mm-hmm. or, they, or they're really 
they're also probably wealthy because they know how to save right. in mm-hmm. places that a lot of people go rogue. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm going to spend this on this car and on this outfit, on this rank, you know, like yep. things like that. Exactly. I think they, that's why they're so wealthy. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grandpa is well off and he's saved so hard. And like one time we were visiting and we were like staying in our room in his house and we were there for like three days. And on the third day, he's like, there's been a quarter on your floor for the entire time you've been here. <laughs> I was like, uh, are you going to pick up that quarter? <laughs> I, like, I don't even know. Him and my dad go to like Cracker Barrel and like my dad, or he will pay, my grandpa will pay, my dad will get the car so they can get the senior discount because my dad's not at the senior discount level yet. <laughs> right. They are like, it's hilarious. Oh, it's, amazing. it's hilarious. But it's like a game for yeah. them, you know? Like, oh, yeah. You can Absolutely. like just see your money come in. Okay, so what is a, a bond? Actually, I don't even know what a bond is. Yeah, so I have them. A, a bond is a loan, and it is a loan that is made to either a government or governmental entity or a corporation, some kind of business entity. So when you own a bond, what you have done is essentially loaned money to a government entity or corporation, and they have given you a contract. And um, in exchange for loaning you that money, they're going to give you interest, either traditionally it's semi-annually or annually. And as long as they don't go bankrupt, at the end of the term of the loan, um, you will get your original money back. It's called your principal. So the way it works with bonds, you're, you're lending money, you're getting interest in exchange. If the entity doesn't go belly up, you get your original money back. They historically have been considered um, reasonably safe investments. Mm-hmm. Now, because in America we have like 50,000 varieties of absolutely everything, there are now also 50,000 varieties of bonds. And so there are now some really wacky esoteric bonds that actually are much more complex and more risky than they seem on the surface. So the main thing to know about bonds is the higher the interest rate that you are being promised, that is happening because you're taking on more risk. Mm. And the lower interest rates you're receiving is because you're taking on less risk. And your goal with bonds, I think about bonds as like the brake in your car. You own bonds in your portfolio so that when all hell breaks loose in the financial markets, you've got some stability in your portfolio. So you don't want to take crazy risk with your bonds. You want to own, I would argue, plain vanilla, more conservative bonds. Stocks, by contrast, are pieces of ownership in underlying businesses. So when you own a stock, you literally own a slice of a business. And as the business prospers, if you bought a slice of that business at a reasonable price, your share price will appreciate over time, roughly in line with the economic growth of that business. And so the key thing to note with these is, in both cases, you can lose everything. When you own a bond, when you make a loan, the entity could go bankrupt, you lose all your money. When you own a stock, you own a piece of a business, and if that business goes belly up, you lose everything. Mm -hmm. In a bond, your upside is capped. The best you're ever going to do in a bond is get back the interest that you were promised along the way Mm. in your principal. With stocks, your upside is endless. Mm. You keep going up and up and up. But in exchange for that endless upside, you take a lot of risk. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. volatility. So that's why you want a mix of Mm -hmm. stocks and bonds in your portfolio. And the last thing I'll say is you don't ever want to invest money in stocks or bonds that you know you need to spend in the next five to 10 years. So for most of us, that means the money that we're investing in stocks and bonds is by definition our retirement money. 
So we're not putting our emergency fund money in stocks or bonds. We're not putting our near-term money for a home down payment or a wedding in stocks and bonds. We're putting our longer-term money, our retirement money, Mm. which is traditionally our 401k money or IRA money is what's going into stocks and bonds. Okay. And so you would put your um, savings in like a checking fund, in like a COD or a money market fund, right? Yeah, exactly. And a COD is like 1% to 2%? So um, certificates of deposit, their rates will vary depending on what inflation is doing. For the last 10 years or so, inflation in the U.S. has been remarkably low. So interest rates have been really low. So when you have um, emergency fund or near-term funds, honestly, your goal is not to get the highest interest rate possible. It's just to keep pace with inflation. Okay. And maybe let me just give you an an explanation of why inflation is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So imagine you come home from one of the 85 jobs that you guys are doing Mm -hmm. and you have a hundred bucks in your back pocket and you hop on that sofa and you say like, that's it. I am done. I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch every queer eye, every (laughs) queer eye episode there has ever been. And I'm going to watch them all 10 times. And so that takes you, let's say 30 years to get through. And so at the end of 30 years, you stand up and you still have a hundred bucks in your back pocket. But what, what would happen if you hadn't gotten off the sofa in, in 30 years, um, your muscles would have atrophied and you'd fall over. And the same thing happens to your money. If it's just sitting there in cash, it atrophies as well, um, just like your muscles. And so $100 at just a 3% rate of inflation um, after 30 years mm. will buy only as much as $40 did when you flopped on the sofa to watch Queer Eye. Damn. And if inflation is just a little higher, like 5%, that 100 bucks will be worth only what $20 was worth when you sat down on the sofa. So the whole reason we invest, first and foremost, is to make our money at least keep pace with inflation. And so the the physical version is to keep our muscles at least from atrophying. Mm. And then just as when you're working out, if you are particularly effective at it, not only do you not atrophy in terms of your muscles, but you become cut and buff. And so the version of becoming cut and buff is growing your money faster than inflation. So with your your low-risk money, you just want it to grow as fast as inflation. And inflation's been kind of around 1%. So that's why certificates of deposit, mm. that's why it's okay that they're only paying that level. Yeah. And then it's with your longer-term money that you want it to get cut and buff. And that's where you're owning this mix of stocks and bonds that has more risk. And that's why you have the chance for more return. So you would suggest someone takes a portion of their paycheck. Do you suggest that they manage their money monthly? Like what would be best? And then like take the portion, you know, say it's $1,000, whatever, that they're going to use of the 20% for saving and investing. Would they then put 20% of that? How much would they put in their emergency and how much would they actually invest? And do they do that? Should someone do that monthly? Yeah. So there are so many different permutations on this. Um, it used to be a lot easier when pretty much everyone only had one kind of income source. Like you work for yeah. a company and you got a paycheck, but now so many of us have so many different side gigs and, and ways of earning that I, I prefer thinking about it on a monthly basis. And um, I think the simplest way to deal with it is to say, I want to take half 
of what I have and put it away towards retirement. And then the other half, I will split between my emergency fund and near-term needs. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you're making sure that you're starting off with that retirement saving as early on as possible because it, it's like this s- snowball and you want to start getting that snowball rolling as early on in your yeah. Um, life as you can. So a simple way to do it is just cut it in half. Half goes to retirement and the other half of the savings is going to emergency fund and near-term needs. And first you build out the emergency fund and then you build out the near-term needs. So if that means you don't have money for a home down payment until you're actually well into your 30s, well, then you don't buy a home until you're well into your 30s. Mm. Okay. That's amazing. For um, our listeners who uh, have credit card debt, how would you recommend making a dent in that and like really owning that process? Mm-hmm. So I think it could be overwhelming. People pay off yeah. and then get right back to the yeah. to their limit. Yeah, no, I mean it's it, it, it's a huge problem, and mm-hmm. um, it's one I think we don't talk about nearly enough. So first of all, if you're in credit card debt, I recommend a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. It okay. is like the ultimate we'll the show note. Yeah. The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. It is okay. it is such um in your face tough love about mm-hmm. um living within your means and not incurring more debt going forward. But the the short version is if you have $5,000 or less in credit card debt, what you want to do is add an extra $50 a month to whatever, well, let me backtrack. When you have credit card debt, the first thing you want to do is take out a piece of paper and write down every debt that you have, all the different cards, mm-hmm. what the interest rate is on each of those mm-hmm. cards, and what the minimum monthly payment currently is on each of those cards. Then you want to reorder that list with the highest, the card with the highest interest rate on top, and then go down in, in declining order. If your debt is $5,000 or less, you want to add an extra $50 to that first card, whichever is the one that has the highest interest rate. If your debt is between five dollars and $10,000, you want to add an extra $100 a month to the minimum monthly payment on that highest card. And if your debt is over $10,000, you want to add an extra $150 a month. If you just follow that simple rule, depending upon your interest rate, you will get that debt paid off in three to five years. And if you want to pay it off faster, you just double those numbers and it cuts, you know, to one and a half to three years. And each time you double the numbers, it cuts the time in half. Okay. So the point is you're making a list of the debts. You are acknowledging highest to lowest interest rate and you are tacking the highest interest rate first. And once that debt is paid off, then you add that extra amount to the next one. And then when all your debt is paid off, the money you were putting towards the debt now goes towards savings. Yeah. I love that. Okay. That makes it doable. And one thing to know about credit cards, they literally, it's like dancing with loan sharks. It's you buy a pair of pants for $100 and you put them on an average credit card with a mid-teens interest rate and you make the minimum monthly payment and those pants just cost you 170 to 180 bucks. Like those, th- that's how much more in interest you are. Mm. You're, it's just, it's stunning. People don't realize mm-hmm. they're almost doubling the purchase yeah. price. When you buy something on credit and don't pay it off in full. What's the, what's this last question? What's a balance transfer? So 
a balanced transfer is... And do you recommend it? Yeah. So it's a slippery slope. It's like stepping on a scale that like that has a slightly different gradation. So your weight's actually a couple pounds lower and you feel better. Right, right, (laughs) right. And so basically what a balance transfer allows you to do is take money from one credit card with a higher interest rate and move it to another credit card, typically one that has what's called a a teaser or a 0% interest rate. But there are always, nothing comes for free. So usually there is a um, charge to transfer the money over. Sometimes it can be as much as 3% of the balance. Then almost inevitably, there is fine print. Um, oftentimes that will say, if you add any new debt to that credit card, it's not at 0%. It's at 27% or you know some really astronomically high number. Oftentimes there can also be fine print that says, if you don't make minimum payments on time, like if you miss them by a day, the 0% goes away and you're now at a penalty interest rate that's significantly higher. Wow. So there's it's it's never a free lunch. And my issue with balance transfers is it doesn't get to the underlying issue. If you mm-hmm. step on a scale that gives you a more favorable number, your weight hasn't changed. It's just perception. Yeah. When you move the debt to a, a zero interest card, you haven't generally acknowledged that you're spending more than you should be. And that's how you got into debt to begin Such with. Such a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can use them. It's a tool, but it is not a solution. Yeah. Okay. Ask really quick. What's yeah. your favorite credit card? I am a huge fan of American Express. Hmm. For most American Express cards, you pay a fee. But I have been an American Express card member, gosh, since I think graduating from college in 1992. And the reason I love them is I think they have the most amazing fraud security protection. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're un- if anything goes wrong, they are all over it. And for me, I'm totally willing to pay up for that. In terms of no-fee cards, I love the cards from Chase Bank. I think Chase also does an exceptional job of being vigilant about fraud. And these days with credit cards, I mean, obviously one thing you want to pay attention to is interest rates and terms, mm-hmm. but more than ever, identity theft is something that we all need to be worried about. Yeah. And those two companies, I think, do a stellar job of keeping an eye on that. Love that. Good to know. So last question uh, from me. Are there resources that at the top of your head for women in particular, you know, online resources, apps, whatever it is that you would mm-hmm. recommend for people to kind of go to right now to empower themselves? Not yes. only your website, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please, plug that, please. Please come to moneyzen.com yes. and sign up for my monthly newsletter where I send out what I think are the best articles that I've come across about Love women's that. economic empowerment. Other resources, there's a website called Personal Finance Warrior that my friend Kelly Gushu, she's a Harvard grad, super Mm. smart. She offers online courses at a very reasonable price in investing. She'll teach you all about the nuts and bolts of investing. Another friend of mine, Farnoosh Tarabi, um, offers a a course um, called Master Your Money, and it's a wonderful online basics class that you can take online to learn. You can also read the book I co-wrote with one of my dear girlfriends from business school called On My Own Two Feet, mm-hmm. A Modern Girl's Guide to Personal Finance, which hopefully in four or five hours will tell you uh, the vast majority of what you need to know about money. And then I also recommend checking out the resources at elevest.com. Mm-hmm. I think Sally Krawcheck's done a really lovely job of creating a site that appeals to women, doesn't dumb it down, and gives a lot of good information. 
Love that. Any apps? You know, when it comes to personal finance, I feel like there are a number of good budgeting apps. There's not one that just jumps out at me as being particularly better than another. I will tell you, I personally still do my budgeting the old-fashioned way. I literally carry around a slip of paper in my wallet, and anytime I spend money, I write it down. And at the end of the month, I add it up. It takes me no more than 15 minutes to do. So you certainly can find Mm. budgeting apps. Mm -hmm. But I think that... um, the more important thing is to keep in mind that 50, 30, 20 rule and just know where you're heading, whether you use an app or you use paper to help mm-hmm. you get there. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's one of those things that I'll always remember. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? When people tell you some like tips, tricks, mm-hmm. and you can never really not know it. Yes. Yeah. yes. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. I know our listeners have been waiting to um, have this type of conversation and hopefully it won't be the the last one um, because we can kind of now talk openly about it. So mm-hmm. thank you for the work that you do, empowering women and making like, you know, money a joyful experience instead of like something we fear and avoid. So mm-hmm. where can people connect with you? Go to moneyzen.com. I've got all of my social media connections there, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and all that kind of good stuff. And my email and phone number are there as well. So you can reach out to me any way you want. Love that. You better be careful, sister. Call call you a ride or die. (laughs) (laughs) They will text. Um, Well, thank you for being here and making the time. Oh, Lindsay and Krista, thank you so much. And thank you so much for just bringing this content to your listeners. Oh, yeah. You are giving women voices and choices. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. we're learning right along with them. So. Important. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye, guys. See you Love next you guys. week. Bye. What do you guys think? Money, 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 money. Yeah, what's your money anthem? Mine? Mm-hmm. Can't pay my automobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Phil Spills is a good Phil's, one. Phil Spills Bills is a classic. Yeah. I just like, I always, I, I also think I was thinking about during this interview too, like kind of what I was taught as a child like the reparenting aspect of it that we, we didn't really, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, dad saying, or our dad saying, you're going to make your own money. You don't need to depend on a man and all that stuff, which is true, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is like kind of mm-hmm. at the core of, you know, yes, of course I want to be independent, but there's this like crazy pressure then. And then I'm like afraid of it to like kind of stand in that success and, mm-hmm. and manage, I don't, I don't know. I know. It's this weird thing that I haven't figured out I'm yet. Think so think of what my, mine is, is like... My family also never talked about it, so that was a problem. Yeah, mine was just always like stress about it. Stress, yeah. Because my parents wanted to spend it in different ways. Right. You know, so yeah, that was like same. hard. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to think about that too. But anyway. Yeah. Manisha's the bomb. So uh, we hope you were taking notes. Yeah. If not, re-listen to the episode, join our group. Let's talk about it again. Come and, to our events. Yeah, come to our events. We should do a money event, actually. Yeah, I'm so down. That's like a, really a workshop. We should totally do that. Um, we have two coming up. One on Saturday, actually. So please come from, if tickets are available at this point. Um, one to three at Knockout LA with Aubrey Winters. We have a meditation that we're going to be doing. Kalumi is going to be there with their amazing bars. So their CEOs, Chrissy and Jayla are going to be there and we are going to be having so much fun. So we're so excited. And then there's also an event on May 6th at Sage Wellness.
Mm-hmm. With Spirit Daughter and Energy Muse. Check it out on our website. You can find like the detailed description. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. We're going to gra- get so many goodies, um, readings, and just be really enlightened about your moon sign. And um, we're going to talk about retrogrades and all of that stuff, just mm-hmm. everything, just kind of understanding deep. astrologically what's going on, how you can collaborate with it. So visit almost30podcast.com, go to our events tab. Uh, you can buy tickets through the links there. Thank you guys for listening. It means so much to us. We get messages on the daily that truly keep us going. I mean, we love it anyway, but your words and your support mean everything to us. So thank you so, so much. Share these episodes and this podcast with people who you think you know, would find mm-hmm. inspiration and support yeah. in the community. And thanks for subscribing and reviewing. Appreciate it. Yeah. I know it takes a second, but your reviews really mean a lot and they just really help keep us on the charts. We love you. I love you. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.